0: Allow me to begin by saying that it is a personal delight and joy to be here this morning at Trinity Cathedral. I've had the privilege over a number of years to be here a number of times for weddings and funerals and ordinations and the occasional Sunday morning and thus I have developed a certain affection for this place, for its people, for its clergy, but most importantly for the place that Trinity plays not only at the heart of the Diocese of Arkansas, but the role that Trinity plays in the whole of our church. And I am particularly grateful for Trinity's relationship with Sewanee. The University of the South is your university. You send young people to us and we try to ready them to be good citizens. And whatever their area of study, be prepared for service in the world that makes a difference. You send us your seminarians, and we are prepared, and we prepare them for leadership in a changing church, serving a changing world in the name of Jesus. And because the people of Trinity share in the ownership of Siwani, there is a sense in which you are us and we are you. And for that partnership, we are particularly grateful to God. Also want to say uh, how grateful I am to Dean Keller for the invitation to be here today. Um, When I looked up the lessons, I thought, "Uh uh-huh. Yep, day for a guest preacher. (laughs) Yeah, it's all about money. So let's proceed with the work that is before us. Uh, This morning, all three scripture readings delve into a subject that I suspect most of us would just soon ignore. Money. Money and the role that it plays in our lives. For you see, when, when it comes to money, no one is holy. None is holy. Everyone squirms at least a little bit. Those who are rich who have too much to lose, and those who are poor run into the danger of falling into some sort of false pride or sloth, perhaps, or even a bit of righteous indignation, it's easier and less stress-producing if we just avoid the subject altogether. But I don't think that's the task this morning. Friends, if we are serious about the teaching of Holy Scripture if we're serious about the Bible then we've got to be serious about money I mean it's not lost on us I suspect that the two topics that Jesus talks about the most in the Gospels are money and self-righteousness and that combination of topics I don't think it's a coincidence. But like every exhortation in Holy Scripture that hits us where it hurts, it's much better for our souls if we listen courageously, listen squarely to what the Word has to say, opening hearts and minds to hear God's Word for us. The reading from Jeremiah, standing alone as it does in the lectionary, is a complicated narrative about inheritance. It's about inheritance at a time of war, when Jerusalem was being besieged by the Babylonians. And you see there is dread hanging over the heads of the people of Israel. I mean, the, the, the question that's running through their minds is why bother to continue to buy and sell? Why bother to continue to trade property? Why bother to go to all the trouble we heard about to deed one's inheritance? Why continue the daily work of commerce since those Babylonians are out at the gate of the city and it's soon all going to belong to them anyway? But no, says the prophet Jeremiah. Remember the part about let's write all this stuff up and put it in the jars and put it there so we can hide them for a while. Why is that the case? Well, Jeremiah says, continue to buy and sell, continue to give and receive, continue to rightfully designate the inheritance for the next generation and store it away in earthen vessels, because no matter what happens, the Babylonians will not be here forever. Someday, he says, this crisis will be over. Someday, we will be able to reclaim our land. Someday. We will own again what is ours. And ultimately, it all belongs to God anyway. And that, the the fact that it all belongs to God, is not something a foreign enemy can take away from us. Let me just suggest that perhaps is a worthy reflection for you to take away this morning. What is it that no one can take away? What is it that God has given you that no one can take away? Think about that. The second reading is a portion of St. Paul's letter to Timothy. And a similar theme can there be discovered. We brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing out of this world. All that we have is a gift to us from a generous God, and our response to God's generosity is to be equally generous and give as freely as God has given to us. And into today's today's gospel, Jesus tells a story that focuses on the ultimate truth of all this. It's a story that has been used or might we say misused through the centuries as a proof text of all manner of popular theories. I mean, for example, we often point to this morning's gospel as the evidence for the existence of heaven and hell. It's also about the evil of riches or the nobility of poverty or the utter impossibility of change after death and so on and so on. Boy, we have worn this text out for all manner of reasons through the centuries. But what Jesus is focusing on here, I believe, is none of that. Here, Jesus is concerned with the stark and painful truth that will eventually lead him to the cross. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. You see, the the conclusion of the parable has very little to do with riches. It is about something far more important. It has to do with our response to the good news of God and Jesus Christ. Sent to us first through the law and the prophets, and then made manifest in the incarnation and sufferings, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. These words of Jesus, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they can be convinced if someone rises from the dead, is a painful realization from Jesus that the people who heard the good news of God's love chose not to believe. Instead, they counted on things of this world. The riches on which they put their trust took all kinds of different forms. And like the rich man in the parable, they lived in their own sort of self-defined luxury while others sat at the gates begging. How many individuals, how many nations, how many of us might in fact fall into that category passing by ignoring, looking the other way, avoiding the outcasts among us. Others, like those who were out to get Jesus, put their trust and knowledge, there's a sort of pride in their own conviction that they were the ones who were always right. And Jesus seems to have had little luck in convincing them to see things differently. Witnessing his miracles didn't change their mind. Jesus' loving acts did not impress them evidently. Jesus' stories did not always move their hearts. And Jesus' moral teaching irritated them to no end. His contemporaries, like our contemporaries, probably thought that they were rich because God had rewarded them. But no matter what Jesus said, it was hard for them to understand that God is a giver of gifts, not a dispenser of rewards. God's values are different from those of human beings. And in the end, the condemnation falls on those who ignore the mercy and the compassion in favor of luxury and the easy life here on earth as we define it. If Jesus were telling this story today, he would probably have to amend it, I suspect, because we're accustomed to thinking that God favors the good and destroys the wicked and the immoral. So convinced are we, by the way, of this, that in a recent study, more than 80% of the people in a national survey believe that the phrase, God helps those Who helps themselves is a verse in Holy Scripture. And it's not. But the way Jesus tells the story, things are quite the reverse. Lazarus is a poor beggar who eats the crumbs from the master's table, whose sores are licked by mangy dogs, is immediately transported into heaven where he enjoys the company of that most faithful and most righteous person of all time, Father Abraham. The rich man, by contrast, whose goodness and righteousness was evident for all to see. After all, God had blessed him with those riches, Slid steadfastly into hell. And the Bible says there was this great chasm between the comforting bliss of Abraham's bosom and the rich man's place in hell, and therein it lies the point of the story. But it may not be the point we first imagine. St. Luke, you see, for several chapters now, and he's going to continue for several more chapters in, in his gospel. Saint Luke has been stacking story upon story, teaching upon teaching, encounter upon encounter to draw our attention to reversal after reversal, transformational moment after transformational moment to show us that in the new age of Jesus Christ, the new age that has dawned in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, nothing is as we expect it might be. Why? Because death has lost its sting. Because a crucified and dead and buried man refused to stay that way. Friends, the good news for your life and mine is that the chasm between Abraham's bosom and the torments of hell has not only been narrowed, it has been bridged once and for all. The outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross takes Lazarus with one hand and the rich man burning in hell in the other. And in the agony of that moment, grace and mercy are held together in the embrace of a loving God. Our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our souls have been opened to Moses and the prophets. Our spirits have been stirred and the chasm has been crossed because Christ Jesus, who was dead, has now passed over to the other side and has brought us along with him. You went to hell with Jesus in the waters of holy baptism and in those same waters you were risen with him to eternal life. Let's not forget that eternal life begins at the font, not at the grave. In the sacrament of the altar, he feeds us not with scraps from the master's table, but with his holy and precious body and his saving and precious blood. You see, friends, Lazarus had nothing to give. Nothing to give but himself his trust, his faith, his love. And in truth, that's all God ever wanted from Lazarus. You see, God wanted Lazarus. And the rich man did it his way. And that's what created a chasm between himself and God, a chasm so great that not even in his dying hour He could cross it. But the glorious good news of the gospel is this rich man, poor man, beggar, man, thief, doctor, lawyer, merchant, chief. Everyone, everyone who comes by faith, everyone is carried across the chasm from life to death. To life again in the arms of a risen Savior who will never let us go. You see, dear ones, it's not who you are, but to whom you belong that matters. It's not what you have, but what you're prepared to let go of that matters. It's not where you've been, but where you're going that matters. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. For you see, holy ones, all God wants, indeed all God has ever wanted, is you. And when God has you, God can work wonders with your life, your vocation, your time, your money, your passions, your relationships. When God has you, God can work wonders with absolutely everything that makes you, you.